0: And I want to encourage you. Grab your Bibles. Let's go to Ephesians chapter three this morning as we continue to walk through our series of what God wants. All right. So, how many of you remember the story growing up, Humpty Dumpty? All right. A few of you. Humpty Dumpty had an unsolvable problem. No way I could put them back together. But did you know that you and I also, on our own, have an unsolvable problem called sin? However, God in his love, because of his grace, has given us and provided a solution. Jesus Christ came to our wall. Jesus Christ died for our fault. So that regardless of death and in spite of sin, through grace, he might put us together again. And that's what we need. We need God in his love and his grace to put us back together again because of what sin has broken and ruined in our life. Back to the matter, the one big thing this morning is this, that God supplies the grace to save you and to change you. So let's look at it together. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 14. I'm going to ask if you can and would if you would stand as we honor the reading of God's word. It says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might by his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church... by by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Father, we thank you again for for this day and this opportunity to study your word. And now, Lord God, I pray that the power of God would be revealed through the proclaiming of your word. And that as your word goes out, that, Lord, you would give each person here and those who will listen to it via the podcast that you would give us the ears to hear and the hearts to receive the truth from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. God supplies the grace to save you and to change you. This text is going to reveal four things about God's grace this morning that we want to see. The first is this, that God's grace exposes our heart. This section of Ephesians here is really a prayer that Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He is praying that God would strengthen them, that they would experience his love, that they would understand who God truly is, and that they would come to understand that he is able to do far more than you and I ever think to ask him to do. Yeah, I I wonder how often... We pray safe prayers. Instead of truly believing that God is able to do, as he says in verse 20, exceeding abundantly, much more than we could ever ask or even think about. You know what? You and I call extraordinary, God calls ordinary because he's the all powerful God. Where you and I see barriers and burdens, God sees opportunities to reveal himself to us and to teach us how to depend on him a little bit more. When we talk about the movements of God, we often think about big things, you know, the day of Pentecost and and two revivals that have swept uh, throughout the nation over time. But we can't lose sight of the fact that God uses His extraordinary grace in the middle of very ordinary circumstances. What I mean is this, that God uses our marriage to teach us about His grace. I mean, after all, we are two imperfect people trying to live in perfect harmony. We need some grace. God uses our kids to teach us about His grace. Because sometimes they want to talk back, and we don't like that. Or sometimes we will tell them what to do, and they will ignore that. I wonder if God's going, now do you see how I feel? God will use his grace in our jobs with difficult bosses, with difficult coworkers to teach us about himself. We need to look for God's grace everywhere. And understand that the standard of grace that we are to operate in is this. What God has given to us is what we are expected to show to others. And God reveals his grace in these ordinary things to reveal two things about him. The first is who he is. We need to understand rightly, according to scripture, who God is. So that we'll understand how powerful he is and loving and gracious, but also how holy and just he is. The second thing that ordinary uh, events reveal to us is this. Who we are trusting with our daily life. You know, so often we love to blame others for our problems. Now, it's, it's as old as time. We can go all the way back to Genesis 3 and see that the blame game has always happened. But we love to blame others when things don't go the way we think they ought to. But maybe it's God allowing those things into our lives to show us that at least part of the problem is us. Fact of the matter, we look at James chapter four, verse one, it says this, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war and your members? My greatest enemy is the inner me. I'm, I'm my own worst enemy, and so are you. And we have to understand this. It's easier to blame somebody else when really we need to be looking at ourselves. See, Scripture says in Romans 3.23, for all of sinning comes short of the glory of God. We are sinners by birth and by choice. While others certainly can sin and hurt us, we do far more to hurt ourselves than hurt others than we think of. And that, that idea, that picture that Paul's painting of missing the mark is an archer taking his bow, putting an arrow in, pulling it back, and letting it go. And it's not that we miss the bullseye. It's we miss the whole target. That's really the picture that Paul paints in Romans 3.23. Like, we don't even get it to the target. This is us falling short of the glory of God from birth and throughout our life by the choices that we make. And so God will expose our hearts as unbelievers so that we can see our sin and need and see our need for Him. Because the self-deception, we think we're okay. The self-deception says that I can save myself. But God reveals our sin and so that we can clearly see we need him. But God will also expose our hearts to show us that we're not trusting him in our daily life because as much as we need the grace of God to be saved, if we're going to live the Christian life, we need grace to do that as well. Let's just be honest. Dealing with people is difficult sometimes. Some people make it really, really hard to love them. And a lot of times we make it hard for people to love us. And so we need that grace. When God calls to a task, he also supplies what we need to accomplish that task. If there's one thing I could encourage the church as a whole to stop doing is we have to stop shortchanging God. We, we offer up statements as a whole saying things like, well, if we had more money, if we had more people, if we had more more resources, then we could do what what." God wants us to do. What we're saying, whenever anybody says something along those lines, what we're saying is this. God isn't enough. God didn't think this through. He didn't plan this out. We're saying I can't trust God. See, if God has called us to something, he has given us the grace and the resources to accomplish it. We don't need more money. We don't need more people. We don't need more resources. What we need more of is faith and dependence on God to do it. And he will. You know, go back to where we were reading in Matthew 14 uh, in our scripture reading this morning. We've got to learn to get out of the boat and start walking on the water. Now, Peter messed up by taking his eyes off Jesus. True. Peter had a foot-shaped mouth. That's true. But Peter also got to experience firsthand the power of God in his life. Now, did he experience it because he was smarter than the other disciples? No. Nope. Did he experience it because he deserved to be used by God more? No. Peter got to experience the power of God in his life because he trusted Jesus more than he valued safety. He trusted Jesus with his life, even when his mind said, this is crazy. I mean, who in their right mind would get out of the boat and expect to walk on water? And the thing is, Peter wasn't looking at his circumstances originally. He was looking at Christ. He said, I can't, but you you can make me do this. And so I'm going to do it. You know, so often we pray and we strive for things that we could do in our own power that if we're honest, it really wouldn't matter if God showed up or not because we could try hard enough and do it. Those are the prayers and those are the things that we're comfortable with doing, but that's not what God calls us to do. God is not calling us to play it safe. He is not calling us to do what we can do. Why? Because he knows this, in our sin-sickened heart. If we only did what we could do, we would rob him of his glory by taking credit for it. So he calls us to the gloriously impossible so that in our inadequacies, we will cry out for help to him. And here's the great thing, that when we cry out for help to God, we find something greater than just help. We find Jesus. And we find out His power and His sufficiency for all things. Let us remember this. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of every blood-bought, born-again child of God. Think about that. The Holy Spirit, the power of God Himself raised Jesus from the dead and now He lives inside of you. If he can raise the dead, I'm pretty sure he can use the living. We just got to learn to trust him. And so we need to learn to be like Paul there in 2 Corinthians 12 when he said, I will glory in my weaknesses and infirmities. For when I am weak, then his strength is revealed. Not only does God's grace expose our hearts, but God's grace also rescues you from you. Again, we go back to James 4.1. The majority of our problems are self-inflicted. They're decisions that we make. Nobody makes me say or do what I say and do. Rather, it's the sin residing in my own heart that causes me to hurt people. To lash out in anger. To walk in bitterness and unforgiveness. That's us that's why we need to be redeemed and and rescued because on our own we will make an absolute mess out of our lives have you ever noticed that you never have to teach a toddler to be selfish like that's factory standard equipment on every toddler isn't it would to God that that would that we would outgrow that but we don't do we And and sometimes that selfishness, not only does it not die with age, it gets stronger with age. We want more and more and more. See, in our sin nature, we deceive ourselves to think that we can save ourselves. If I just go to church, if I just read my Bible, if I just pray, if I just do all these things, then God will save me. You know, if if I just love enough, then, then God will save me. Yet we're confronted over and over again in Scripture with the fact that we are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. Not only do we deceive ourselves that we could save ourselves, but we also in our sin nature deceive ourselves about what we can do. We, we like to say, oh, well, you know, God told me to do this. And sometimes I imagine God up in heaven going, I didn't tell you to do any of that. Don't touch my name to that. That's not of me. We have to be honest with who we are, that we are sinners who are in need of a Savior who is not us, but who is Jesus. We need it from ourselves. Not only does God's grace rescue you, but it also changes you. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. God loves you. He'll meet you right where you are in your sin, in your mess, in your misery. He will meet you right in it. And by His grace, He will redeem you, He will forgive you, and He will begin the process of changing you. I love how one pastor put it. He said, quote, I'm not what I should be, But praise God, I'm not what I used to be. You know, and that's that's the story of every believer. That this is who we were, but then God's grace invaded our lives, blew up our lives, and and began to transform our lives into who God has created us and called us to be. So many Christians say, well, I want to be used by God, but I just just don't know how. To that, I want to address it two ways. First, let us never say that I don't know what the will of God is while our word of God stays closed. If you want to know what the will of God is, you got to open up the word of God. There are 66 books that are divinely inspired and inerrant that reveal the heart, the person, and the work of God in the world. So you want to know the will of God? Let's open up the word of God. The second thing I would say is this. We have to walk by faith. Now, when we use the word faith, we typically use it in the form of a noun. I have faith. But if we were to study that word throughout the context of Scripture, we would see that it's actually a verb. It's an action word. That's why James says, oh, you say you have faith without works, that's great. I'm going to show you my faith by my works alright there in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 one of our memory verses from last last week it says by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen moved with godly fear preparing an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith by faith Noah he went and built the ark he obeyed what God had said Faith is what we do. It's not something we possess as much as it is a life that we live. We can go back to to the story of Peter walking on, on water. The disciples were fishermen. They were used to the Sea of Galilee. They, they would have been used to storms coming from the, the winds coming down the slopes, and this would have been nothing new. But they just couldn't get the boat to go. They, they were caught in a storm. And they had no idea what to do. Now on top of that, here, uh, they, here comes in, in the middle of the night. This figure walking on the water. They think it's a ghost. And, and out of the darkness you hear this comforting voice. said, Do not be afraid, it's I. Now Peter immediately recognizes the voice of Jesus, And so he says, I know it's you. Tell me to come to you. Peter's not worried about the storm. He's not worried about the logic. He just wants to be close to Jesus. And so because of this, he gets to step out and do something that was extraordinary. But Peter's faith isn't the point of the story. It's whose who's faith Peter had in him. The faith of Jesus. It wasn't about, hey, look at Peter, man, Peter's awesome guy. Pat Peter on the back. No. This was about us looking and going, we need to have faith like Peter. That even when everything seems to be going crazy around us, even when it doesn't make sense, we're gonna walk to Jesus. See, the, the other disciples, they value safety over growth. A lot of times, we do the same thing. We kind of sit back in our boat, go, here, Jesus, come on. I'll wait for you right here. You just go, no, no, you come to me. Stop, Stop looking around at everything going on. Stop giving me all these excuses of what you can't do. Fix your eyes on me, and let's go not about what Peter could do it's about what Jesus was going to do in and through Peter we're going to see God move in 2020 in ways that we haven't seen him move or or maybe ways that we haven't seen him do in a while then we're going to have to have a a faith in God that he is able to do exceeding abundantly more than we can ask or think we're not going to have to have an extraordinary faith in God we're going to have an ordinary faith in an extraordinary God we're going to trust that God is going to do things that we have no idea about. But the only way to do that is to keep your eyes on Christ. You Peter was great. When he got down out of the boat, he's walking on water. It wasn't until he took his eyes off of Jesus and started looking at his circumstances that he began to sink. Here's the thing, church. We're going to go through difficulties in life. Every single one of us, we live in a fallen world that that is ruined and ravaged by sin. Marriages are going to be stressful. Families are going to be messy. All these things are going to happen. Our circumstances may change, but God never does. So why are we looking at the things that change? Instead, we need to fix our eyes on the one who never changes. I want to warn us of something. This type of faith is going to cost. Biblical faith that sees God do the incredible in us and through us does not come cheap. And we are going to have to resolve in our heart. That whatever the price that God asks, he is worth it. If we were to go study there in Luke chapter 9, we would see that Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, I have to be more important to you than your most important relationships. I have to be more important to you than your greatest prized possession. I have to be more important to you than your life following Jesus comes at cost. But to that end, let us resolve that He is worth it. That we want to to see Him and experience Him in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, in the community, in our nation, and indeed around the world. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I don't know what the cost is going to be. Neither do you because it doesn't matter. As we count the cost, will we judge that Jesus is worth it? I do know this, that God is going to use pressures in life, opportunities, hassles, burdens, griefs, temptations, and even joys to grow us and to change us. And this is why we have to be, as the scripture says in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. If we are to experience the grace of God, we have got to have a love of God that writes a blank check that says wherever to whoever you send, I'll go. Whatever you want, Lord, it's yours. This is the blank check. We have to have a love for others that says, no price is too high, Lord, that I will not go so that they can hear the gospel. We have to have a love that is so strong for others that says, I don't care who you are, I will serve you. Because this is the example of Jesus. Let us not forget, church, that on the night he was betrayed, the king of kings got up from a dinner table, wrapped a towel around himself, got a water basin, and went and served and washed sinful disciples' feet, including Judas. See, if serving anybody is beneath you, then ministry is above you. You have to have a love for people that says. I'm going to do whatever I can so that you hear the gospel. I'm going to do whatever I can so I can serve you. I don't care what it costs me. Because when I look back at what it cost Jesus, I won't pay anywhere near that price. And even if it costs me my life, Jesus is worth my life. Because without him, I wouldn't have a life. If we stay humble, we stay rooted, we stay grounded in love, I have all the confidence in the world, not in us, but in him, to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. And here's the last thing about God's grace. It frees you from regret. This morning, we got some Moseses in our presence. Let me explain what I mean. Moses, in a fit of anger, killed a man. And... He had to go to the wilderness uh, and the desert and serve his father-in-law 40 years. One day while Moses is out tending his sheep, God comes to him in a burning bush. Now, I imagine Moses was probably thinking, I want to be anywhere but here with these sheep. He probably wanted to be used by God. And so God comes here in this burning bush and says, Moses... I'm going to use you to deliver my children out of Egypt. So I want you to go to to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. This is certainly a promotion for Moses, right? He's been with dumb sheep for 40 years, and now he's going to go to the leader of the world and say, let God's people go. That's a promotion. That's a good thing. But here's the problem. Moses had excuses. I, I, I stuttered. I, I'm not smart. See, he wanted to be used by Moses, but uh, he, Moses wanted to be used by God, but he wanted to dictate the terms. It doesn't fly. See, Scripture says that God is the potter and you and I are the clay. The clay does not tell the potter what to make of him. The potter molds, shapes, and, and uses for his benefit, his glory so if you're going to be used by god if you want to live a life that is regret free stop dictating terms to god on how and where he is going to use see because it is the sovereignty of god that has planted you where you are therefore we do not have the right to tell god when we are done he's got it so we don't want to live with regrets but here's the other big regret that, that traps us or past. You think, I want to be used by God, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what's in my past. You don't know the baggage that I'm carrying. You don't know the skeleton that's in my closet. To you, I want you to hear this from the Word of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. When Jesus hung on that cross on that day, He bore your past your present, and even your future sins. And he paid for every single one of them. Don't sit here and go, but what if I mess it up? God already knows you're going to. God has already factored in our inadequacies to his perfect plan. You and I are not going to do anything It's going to take God by surprise. And now that you are in Christ, God is not interested in your past. He is focused what he is going to do in you and through you in the present. And in a way only God can do it, he's going to use your past and your present to prepare you for the future he created you for. It doesn't mean that God condoned the, cho- the choices that we made, all right? Let's not say that God is ever okay with our sin. He's not. But our sin does not negate or debilitate the power, sufficiency, and the grace of God. If he can talk through a donkey, he can talk through you. By the way, he did send in the book of Numbers. So church, it's time to lay down some excuses. Don't tell God that you're inadequate. He already knows you're inadequate. That's the joy of this. He knows we can't. But then again, he never asked us to in the first place. Because God is not interested in your abilities. He's interested in your availability. So will you surrender your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? This is where you got to start. You got to acknowledge that you are a sinner who cannot save themselves, but trusting that Jesus Christ died in your place. He took your sin, your shame, He bore them on a cross, and He paid that debt. And now He offers you the greatest, most amazing gift ever given to humanity. And it's His grace through His love that will save you that will forgive you, that will change you. But Jesus doesn't just want your heart. We have got to dispel this myth that Jesus just wants to be the, the Savior of your life because the Savior also demands to be the Lord of your life. Which means i got to give Him control. i got to give control of my marriage, my children, of my ministry, my finances, every aspect of my life, every aspect of your life. You're turning complete control over to him. Will you do it? Will we surrender our ministry to him? Say, Lord We don't know what you want to do, but we know you want to do something that we want to be a part of. it. Will we give our very last breath to make much of Jesus and to tell everybody about the amazing grace that's found in the gospel? His glory, his truth, and his kingdom is marching on. And church, it's time that we fall in line behind King Jesus. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together? Father, we want to thank you for this morning, this opportunity to study your word. Lord, this has been a call to everyone that is in this place to turn from our sins, to be saved by your grace. But it is also a call for us to surrender our lives and our plans to you. To be used by you and to be used for your kingdom. We were bought with a price, Scripture says. And so we're to use our body and our life to glorify our King. Help us, Father. Help every one of us that's in this place. For that sinner who is the furthest from you, Lord, help them to surrender their heart to you this morning, to cry out, trusting in your grace. To that saint that has been saved, who has been playing it safe. Father, help us to let go out of, of the boat and start walking by faith in you. As Paul said, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly more than we ask or think, to him be the honor and the glory to the end of the age. Move in this place this morning, I pray in Jesus' name.